and welcome to the Let's Talk Cloud ERP podcast. This special edition podcast is brought to you in partnership with the Let's Talk Data podcast. I am your host, Jennifer Frank McGrory. We have a great conversation planned for everyone today. In just a few minutes, I'm going to hand the microphone over to my esteemed colleague, Terry Penny. He is going to host a conversation around AI for SAP s and SAP Business Technology Platform, or BTP. I will be back as your host in a week or so with new stories I'm currently working on. Until then, let's get rolling. Welcome, Terry. Take it away. Thanks, Jennifer. Great to be here. I'm Terry Penner, part of the SAP Business Technology Platform Marketing and Solutions team. Today, we'll discuss in-depth artificial intelligence for SAP S4HANA and BTP, covering topics ranging from AI models, the use cases in S4HANA and BTP, and future priorities. Today, I'm excited to be joined by Jürgen Bootsman from the S4HANA team. Jürgen, do you want to just tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, thanks a lot, Terry. I'm a part of the solution management area for SAP S4HANA. We have a team that is responsible for all AI in the context of SAP S4HANA, finance and digital supply chain. And yeah, I'm, I have a history in, in ERP and, and also in analytics and AI. So I'm taking care in the most part on, on the SAP S4HANA related capabilities and direction and strategy. Great. So today, the topic we wanted to cover is around artificial intelligence for AI, a very hot topic, as we all know. So yeah, let's, let's get into it. So Jürgen, could you tell us a little bit about why is AI an important topic for SAP? What, what is AI good for? When we go back to the roots and, and think about what artificial intelligence really means, it is in a way, yeah, replacing something or enhancing something that we as humans probably could use help from computers by in, in the sense of how would our brains or parts of how we would think be reflected in, in the computer. Very, very basic. When it comes to artificial intelligence, we're talking about a type of, of learning of the, of the software from experiences in, in our case, from data. Now, models that we can depict in those, those algorithms that get uh, created by data scientists will certainly only yeah, scope a limited complexity of the models that we have and uh, that, that we have in mind. And those models, of course, in our cases are the way how you would think and decide within the business process are not that complicated and, and not that complex yet as we think in, in, the, in, in our uh, human brain. However, they can process through these models a lot of data and these masses of data we just can't keep in, in our head and compare and, and, and get them together. So if you have a clustering or if you have a, a projection or, or other algorithms that you may think of based on um, a, a huge amount of data heterogeneous enough to depict the the, the situation of a customer or of the, the, the business process of, of a customer is something that would then be quickly processed and giving us very good hints potentially to find out what, what is wrong and or what is the right thing to do at this point of time based on all of this historical information. Like brain pooling all of these experiences and being applied to a model that is, yeah, not too uh, simple, but also not that complex as we do it as humans. Right. So AI, just restating that. So AI, it can handle simplified problems, but the big advantage is just the incredible amount of data that it can have 
at its at its fingertips, if you will, and and process it almost instantly. So maybe flipping the question a little bit. Now, sometimes you don't always need AI. Can you talk a bit about different levels of AI and when's the biggest advantage for AI and what are the different types that you see? Yeah, that, that's a very good question. Different levels of intelligence, I would say, are, are supported with decision support. And if we talk about intelligence, the question often is, what is intelligence? I, I have heard many, many explanations about it, but I think the best one is whatever is perceived as intelligent is intelligent per se. Let's give an example. If we have a KPI or a nice report that shows us a particular figure that I need to see at the time when I'm speaking to a customer or when I make a decision in, in a sales process or in, a, in another process, this figure not being outdated is perfect already in that point of time. This is static. There is nothing that, that really is, is showing any, any movement or, or indication in the first place, but really just the figure. The static is, is, is something that you would not see if you go to a certain perception of, of, the, of the, the direction where you need to go. Like if you have a graph or a visualization showing you already about some, some clustering to keep with the examples from earlier or a, a projection alongside of a graph, you already, just from the visual effects, you would see where things are going. So you can easily make a decision based on that in, in what is the trend, for instance. But this is only two-dimensional because other visualizations we cannot make in our mm -hmm. brain. Now, AI can really analyze huge amounts and derive the conclusions out of that. And that is, of course, yeah, on the other side, expensive because you have to program this, you have to collect all of the data, et cetera. But it can do things that otherwise are simply not possible, that are not humanly possible, so to say. Right. So, and you mentioned about the, you know, the expense. There, there can be a lot of expense processing these huge amounts of data. Where does it add the most value? Where's the optimal value add for, for AI? Yeah, it's most appropriate um, where it really adds value. And th this is, this sounds simple, but it is not. So sometimes you have a great idea how you could yeah, accelerate a process, then you compare the cost and it's just not the right fit. In any case, it depends on the data and the data is, is the most important part to any of these algorithms. So you see that, that it is very important to have right type of data, the right correctness of data, the, the, the right heterogeneity of, of data in order to, to allow the, the algorithms to be best trained and deliver the best examples. And still you have to decide whether for this particular business process or decision or whatever, this really adds sufficient value because you have to, of course, process it and, and this creates cost. Yeah. So going a little bit deeper into the generative AI, area, which is a really intriguing part of AI and something that's really developed quickly this last year or two in particular. So can you tell me what is so different with, with Gen AI? Why is it so interesting to you? Well, for me, the perception was uh, all of a sudden everybody talks about it and everybody understands it. <laughs> in a way, this is like this because the examples that you have are very tangible. Like if you have a question and you have a text summarization and you get immediate answers out of a, a huge amount of, of, of data that you are never could get hold of, everybody is, is very clear on uh, the, the value that it actually would create. So talking about this and, and really discussing about a particular value is much easier than if you have an algorithm that is created somewhere in the back end that delivers you a, a suggestion, a recommendation inside of a data choice or 
uh, another processual uh, choice moving ahead. Those are already uh, good, but they are very distinct. But in these cases, everybody's mindset is really running. Now, if you look at the, the, the use cases like automatic summaries and language conversions and sentiment analysis we have in our day-to-day life, so it can touch all of our lives, whereas certain business-related tasks are not necessarily always to be anticipated from a private point of view. And generating new information is, is really the, the, the new thing so that you would not just process and get a result, but the result is something new that uh, is also striking. So this is fascinating for a lot of people. And I think, including me, in, in, in this case, we, we are really creating something. And that is also yeah, a little bit scary, but I think as long as we really have it in the right uh, borders and, and tights in, inside of our software, then we shouldn't be afraid for, uh, of it. And what it does is, from a processual point of view, it's, it's you have a, a request, so you ask the system about what you want to get, so what the result should be, and this is what we call a prompt. And here, based on, on this information, the system generates the, the results out of um, the, the existing data, so not only summarizes in the sense that it cuts away, but it creates new, more distinct, more crisp text or, or information gatherings out of it. And also the underlying uh, large language models that we are using here are, can also be used, for instance, to, to change the request. So in that the prompt that is there is also, for instance, translated or put in the words that the system best understands and gets to a more distinct questioning that helps the algorithm to work and generate at the end. Yeah. And actually but, for, for myself, when I've used generative AI my, myself, I found it's really good at some things like you, you give it a whole bunch of like an article and say, summarize this in a paragraph or a podcast transcript, for example, and just say, clean it up a little bit, summarize it, write it at this particular level. It's, I find that generative AI is very good for those things. For me, the generative AI is really interesting because so much of what we, it, you intrinsically get it. There's things that I do in my day-to-day business that can just be made easier with it. And that for me as well is why it's, it's really interesting. I look forward to the day when it can help with translations much more quickly yes. and really democratizing it, making it available to almost anyone to be able to translate from, you know, one language to another or understanding some some business lingo that I might not have seen before, that that kind of thing is really interesting. Yeah, there, there's even things possible right now that you can have a podcast in one language and it can automatically create the podcast in a different language, but using the voice of the person who originally speaks. So this is just amazing yeah. because it, it, it in a way that it helps you to spread information worldwide, easy. And also it helps to also from an accessible point of view, like if, if, if you have particular limitations also in, 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 in the way how you could interact with the system, it would help you to refine your question in, in the right way because it would understand what you actually mean with the means that you have. So also from dialects and, and, and particular yeah, types of, of languages. So this is really helping a lot of people to participate in this also in this field. Yeah. So let's go under the hood a little bit. How are, I think we talked about it a little bit there, but just let's talk about it a bit more. How are the Gen AI models set up? How do they work? Yeah, well, in the first place, uh, you have to know about a particular set of data. And this data 
battery has to be very, very big and very, very um, diverse. So it could be based on public sources. It could be based on business sources. It could be based on particular customer experience. It could be, yeah, customer pro 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 proprietary data that would be read into this algorithm. I mean, it, it would go a little bit too far now to explain how you would program this. But basically, the models are trained with this huge amount of, of data and then processed in order to get uh, something new out of it, which, which would be a, as you said, a, a summarization of what you have there. So if you compare a given text and this text would then be compared with other ways of like you have a podcast, for instance, and a podcast would be structured like this, like that, like that. And then you would kind of compare the different models and bring all of this together. You can create kind of with the content of uh, your question and the experience from other podcasts, you can create a new podcast coming out of that. And that refined would reflect more and more of those capabilities, the, the more diverse and the more yeah, information you would put into this uh, system that the, the system could generate and then also compare and, and create the best. Right. So that makes it even more important that the data you're feeding into this model is is relevant and good. So why Gen AI now? Why do you think it's really taking off now? I think it is because, I mean, we have seen this, this huge hype when, when the first ChatGPT came out and, and you had this fascination coming out of, out of the, the findings and, 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 and this whole case. I mean, th this was, I think the birthplace of understanding that this is something that could use on a broad range and not just in, in some scientific areas where, where you would w work on that, but really on a broad scale with, with data that everybody can yeah, understand and, and, and work with. Now, since then, a lot has happened and all of these technologies have come up. Now, with SAP, we always have been a company that has been embracing and adapting technology, but for the context of the business process and the usage in there, because that's our purpose, that's, that's where we're coming from and that's what we want to enhance. So being it's the, yeah, the, the, the change from the big, big computers to the AS400 changed accessibility to systems like, like our ERP massively, then client server even bigger. So scalability to any size internet or mobile or networks, or then in memory databases, all of these technologies were not invented by SAP, but they were put into the context of the business process and I think this is, yeah, SAP has done a good job in, in showing that this is possible and this is of value. So looking at it from the business value, this is of course very, very appropriate. So having the availability of those large language models or generative AI capabilities and seeing that there are use cases that are understandable, that are really creating value is of course the right point in time to use it as quickly as possible. But as quickly as possible is, is, is relative, so you shouldn't just go for it and, and move ahead. As we said, there is costs that are involved with that. And so we wisely look into what type of, of processes we're supporting here. I think it is important to also understand that not all of these technologies do the same at the same quality. And therefore, we have to think about our strategy goes into that we are embedding large language models and, and the, the, the generative AI concepts and, and, and capabilities into our, into our technical architecture, which is SAP BTP. And here we provide as much as we can, what is possible to 
solve many of the business problems that we come across and, and, and may solve or enhance. So these large language models are then available to our customers through our architecture and also then be accessible and, and, and commercialized through our software. And also for the purpose of the, yeah, the, yeah, using the right model for the right uh, purpose. Makes sense. And so basically re summarizing that, we want to bring the generative AI, the AI, as close as possible to the business process. We're not trying to do general purpose. We're trying to make it really valuable for the business processes that SAP and optimize those processes that SAP knows best. Correct. So for SAP as well, one thing that we've talked about in different, different contexts at SAP is making sure that our AI is responsible, it's reliable, it's relevant. So can you talk a little bit, let's start with, with relevant. We, we, we talked a little bit about it being close to the business process. Can you expand a bit on what it means to be relevant in our, in how we do AI? Well, relevant means on the one hand side that it's, it should be needed in the context of our, of, of our business processes that we are providing that the customers are, are want to use. And this means that you have a certain value with, so the valuation value that this, this AI and Gen AI is producing is dependent on the value that, that it has on, on the business process as such. And every customer, of course, has to judge whether this is something that is relevant for them in their context. And they see, of course, that, that, that things like process duration, quality potential, amount of repetitions and process executions, the users, skill shortages that they have that they might enhance with, for instance, information providing through, through Gen AI, they decide about the relevance for the particular customer as such. And we know that, that for instance, if we have a, a process need, for instance, to, to scan a particular number of documents and on an average, then understanding what would be the manual process instead to process those 60 documents would be, of course, very relevant for a customer that understands that with usage of that, with the cost that they would have on the other side is relevant for them or not. So in, in, in this way, any customer has to make this decision. And of course, we have to anticipate what this means on a large scale, that it is most probably most valuable to most of our customers or to a larger group of customers. So not really looking at the, the small cases, but rather the ones with a big impact. Yeah, it makes, it makes sense. And I think the second part for AI at SAP that's, that's critical is being reliable. Like we've all heard stories where you ask uh, a particular AI model a question and it brings back something based on old data or just flat out wrong. It seems to be telling you lies. So with how we're doing AI, um, generative AI at SAP, can you talk a little bit about how we can ensure that the results in the training model are, are reliable? Yeah, well, results reflect the expectations of the users of, of the system. And certainly the quality that we have there is based on the data input that we have there. So if you have very heterogeneous data, you might have in other areas of your business homo very homogeneous data, which might not be that suitable for some of the for a matching algorithm, for instance. So if you want to match accounts, et cetera, and you have always the same type of, of, of matching, then of course you would not be able to to, cap, to capture the the outliers. Now uh, that means that you have to have a clear idea about how the how the data should look like, how, how much of a mass you actually need, what is the um, where where would you see the quality signals on on the data, and really do the very best to to pick 
the distinct best data for a particular, sometimes even for a part of the of of your organization that would suit the best, that would reflect the way how the the occurrence of of certain anomalies are in in the system. So it is important to also explain how the result and why the results go into a certain direction. So also if, if some of the values are not there that you would have expected. And of course, it's the process. So the more you use it, the more you get assured by, by the value and more you trust the system. But uh, it, it's, it's really a, a matter of time that, that we are embracing this. With generative AI, this is sometimes very easy because you just try something out in, in a context that you know by heart. And if you see that the results are not as you expected, then you, of course, would say this is not reliable. But how would you feel if you are an occasional user and you try to get a complex question in there and the answer is something that you take for granted, but it might be the wrong answer because you can't judge. So therefore, we need to have mechanisms that help our customers to get this explanation and to make them trustful so that they understand, yeah, okay, this is the right way of, of dealing with the data. Yeah, absolutely. If you're going to make decisions based on what the, the model tells you, you need to... <laughs> You need to trust it, whether, whether that applies to whether the data is coming from people or from AI. So that's right. Yeah. Yeah. And then getting to the, the third part of the original question there around being responsible. This is for me, a big differentiator for SAP as well, making sure that we are responsible with what we're doing with AI and building that confidence with, with our customers and our partners. Can you talk a little bit about what that means to you being responsible? Yeah, we are, of course, responsible for the data security. And uh, that means our customers don't, and we don't want to share our IP externally. And a lot of large language models, for instance, are only situated in an external cloud. So we have to take care of that the data is converted, encrypted, some cleansed, et cetera, in a way that it can be also used in those types of models without uh, providing any access to this data. And this is, this is a big, big task, and, and we are really looking very much into that. And we still, on the other side, want to be able to, to have all of those uh, models available and, and the, the right and the suitable ones. Therefore, sometimes we have to deploy some of those models inside of our own environment and, and take care of that this is secure and so forth. And, and of course, responsibility is that uh, use cases that we are providing on our side and on our end are also um, approved from um, an ethical standpoint as well. Very good. So let's let's bring this uh, to a, a practical point of view here. So what is available right now in the area that you know best in SAP S4HANA and BTP? But let's focus first on S4HANA. What's available in S4HANA Cloud already in the area of AI? Yeah, in our different deployment versions of SAVS for HANA Cloud, we have a little bit more than 25 use cases, which are based on the artificial intelligence technology. Most of them are based on our SAP TP, and our strategy moving forward is to really concentrate on anything that is in, in, this, in this architecture. There is things like automatic matching of incoming payments with open receivables, which we started, and, and others. We have fraud detection that were also one of the first uh, algorithms that we had there. We have automatic derivation of sales order relevant information from unstructured data. We are enhancing those capabilities also now with Gen AI. So generative AI helping, for instance, to automatically uh, detect what are the structural elements of an unstructured in document that we would have 
And so that means that we are getting more and more out of these uh, types of, of algorithms and, and of, of services that we are providing here. Very good. Yeah. And you, you touched on it briefly already, but can you just expand a bit on what is the role of SAP BTP with AI in S4HANA Cloud? Yeah, SAP BTP is our environment. It's our standard environment for all of those type of te technological extensions and, and the basis. And it's therefore also the home and the, the, the basis for all of AI and generative AI in SAP S4HANA Cloud, meaning that in our AI core, we are processing our own types of algorithms and we're also routing through anything that we are bringing into the same context, like the large language models, which we don't own and which we own and only channel to our business processes. But here that we have a connect between the business applications and SAP BTP with, for instance, intelligent scenario lifecycle management, where we are combining the business models and the, the business data and execution and the lifecycle management with the technical structures that are in SAP BTP. And that's also uh, where we route through all of the other models as said. So Jürgen, can you talk about for Gen AI specifically, what are some of the topics that you're looking at uh, or that the development team may already be working on? There's lots of use cases that we are thinking about, that we are running, that we are having in development and so forth and in production. The first time frame here is the first half year of 2024. And maybe let's have some of the, the big ones we named before. You you know about Joule most probably. So this is what we have as a, as a co-pilot, automatic co-pilot and digital assistant type of, of capability, a human to machine interface, which you can use in, in many different ways. So we have a basis, a part of that, that is conversational navigational and information gathering use cases. So this is based on SAP proprietary data or the process flows and the, and the applications as such to, on the one hand side, gather data about some functionality you would like to onboard with, or you'd like to get guided to where to find a particular execution of say an entry that you have to make a master data extension or a, a, a new sales order and so forth, and it would navigate you there. And also, of course, from a conversational point of view, it would help you to speak kind of with the system and get data from there. So this is one of the first use cases that is there for Joule. And we, of course, have generic usage and, and other usage for, for Joule in multiple applications because everywhere you want to communicate, you would also see this flowing back in, in, into some way of a window where you would like to, to communicate. And this communication, of course, can we thought of yeah, hands-free and, and done verbally, et cetera. So there's a lot to think about how to make work more efficient and the interaction with the system more efficient. So therefore it will be a help and uh, in multiple use cases where this is an extension or a, a particular very important role to, to get closer to the, to, to the, to the uh, process enhancements that we have there and our process optimizations. Communication intelligence is an example that uh, is, is also in, in that area and really everything that we talk about future will of course be the subject to change and there's a roadmap to share. And communication intelligence is something that we come up with first use case. So it's also generic use case where it should be possible to have a decision-making execution process of potential dunning case in this case in, included uh, with sentiment analysis and task prioritization 
customer interaction, call script creation, and, and other guidances and recommendations, and even the automated execution of transactional tasks. So you gather information coming from customers would then decide what to do with it and, and what the next process is, make a decision, create objects in this case, the, the, the dialing process, for instance, and then helps to really complete the task with recommended ways to navigate and to execute functions. Enterprise service management is supporting a full service process, including intelligent ticket handling. That is something that spans over multiple areas where we have the, the possibility to have a very intelligent way of, of dealing with requests that go, go back to, to your, for instance, in a shared service center to support the work over there, how to handle tickets and so on. Just ask is, is and, and the, the, the names may change over time. We now call it just ask is a natural, natural language interaction, finding and executing the right reports and KPIs to visualize for, for the end users of any kind, independent of the entry language or the lingo to get to the data and to the information that they would need to. We want to have being able to run not only the process analysis, which we're already doing in the process mining, but also the recommendations for process enhancements to be submitted by the system, for instance. We also are working on, I mean, we, we have written millions of codes on ABAP and therefore know the rules and the way how you would possibly create code and therefore if there's new code to be created, it would be good to have a strawman or even a almost ready program in ABAP based on the requirements that you have. And that gets me to one of the oldest jokes in SAP saying that is the rebirth of the PowerPoint ABAP converter that had <laughs> thought about in the, no, that's just a joke, but you know what I mean? It, it is taking away some of the lengthy and, and rather dull uh, working on, on the, the, the full scripts uh, body, but certainly there will be refinement necessary. Yeah, absolutely. Now that code generation is a really interesting area. I know on the BTP side, it's something that we're, we're looking at for, for build in particular, and I think it'll be a, a great help to our developer community. So Jürgen, there's lots of great content, lots of great things going on at SAP with AI, really appreciate you sharing your expertise with us. We look forward to seeing how this develops over the coming months and years and hopefully, you know, checking in again and seeing what's available for customers and how they can take advantage of AI at SAP. So with that, we'll, we'll close the podcast and thank you all for joining us. And we look forward to seeing you again. For more on AI, BTP and S4HANA, you can visit sap.com slash BTP for S for Hannah. And the link is in the show notes. Back to you, Jennifer. Thank you, Terry. Thank you for hosting this edition of Let's Talk Cloud ERP. Check out other episodes of Let's Talk Cloud ERP to hear directly from other customers on their transformation journeys. And I would be remiss if I didn't thank the Let's Talk Data podcast for their partnership. We couldn't do what we do without them. Until next time, I am Jennifer Frank McGorry. Have a great rest of your day. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. Check out the show notes for additional links to information. And please subscribe or follow to join us on the next episode of Let's Talk Data presented by SAP.